welcome back to the gruesome onesome movie onesome as Jess said on the last episode if you don't know what I'm on about this is a part two the first part was released earlier in the week solo performance by Jess who did Tideland so to keep some sort of theme going I'm coming in for part two for another Terry Gilliam classic or at least for me it's a classic I actually don't think it's a classic film but Anyway, (laughs) this is The Brothers Grimm. I grew up watching this film. I've seen it so many damn times. It is ridiculous. So I'm here to do a little bit of a dive into this film. So with that being said, let's get started. The Brothers Grimm is a 2005 adventure fantasy film directed by Terry Gilliam. The film stars Matt Damon Heath Ledger and Lena Headey in an exit of the Brothers Grimm as travelling con artists in French-occupied Germany during the early 19th century. However, the brothers eventually encounter a genuine tale curse which requires real courage instead of their usual bogus exorcisms. Supporting characters are played by Peter Stormare, Jonathan Price, and Monica Bellucci. Now, before I get into this film, there is actually a fair bit of background on this film um, in relation to production. And I kind of just wanted to go through that as much as um, we sort of try to stay away from certain two brothers when it comes to the film industry. Uh, Good old uh, Bob and Harvey. But it's kind of interesting what happened here. So we'll start with the casting side of it, which was uh, Gilliam originally wanted Johnny Depp. Um, Wanted him to play as Will Grimm, which to be honest, I could totally see. I think he'd be really, really good for it. But the the cracker is the producer, Bob Weinstein, (laughs) idiot, believed that Depp was not commercially famous enough for the role. So he's like, well, you know what? Rumor has it that Depp is going to star in two upcoming Tim Burton films, the remake of Willy Wonka and Corpse Bride. Supposedly no one really knows who he is and we'll leave him out of it. But um, Matt Damon came out to say that he uh, he joked that Weinstein was kicking himself because halfway through production, Pirates of the Caribbean was released and Depp was the biggest sensation of the time. <laughs> like, I understand having preferences and, you know, obviously as a production company, you want to do what you think is best for the film. But, but, <laughs> as much as I love Ledger and as much as I love, well, Damon to an extent, it was fucking Johnny Depp. Like, he's my boy. I I love him so much. I'm not going to get into the controversies of Johnny Depp because I have my own opinions on that. But can you imagine being, <laughs> being a fly on the wall when you're, like, listening to them discuss who should be in the film and Bob literally turns around and goes, well, Johnny Depp's not big enough, so let's go Heath Ledger. Only to have Pirates of the Caribbean get released midway through. Oh my god, you would lit- like kicking yourself wouldn't even like begin it. It would be just ridiculous to be that fly on the wall as he gets, as he gets that information that Pirates of the Caribbean is just blown up and Johnny Depp is like this massive fucking star. Absolutely crazy. Uh, Gillian wanted Samantha Morton for the female lead, but was overruled by the Weinsteins yet again, who wanted a more conventionally beautiful actress. Robin Williams was originally cast as the role for Cavaldi before dropping out and being replaced by Peter Stormare. Or Stormare. I don't, I'm, I'm sorry if I butcher names. And our classic Aussie actress Nicole Kidman turned down the role of the Mirror Queen due to some scheduling conflicts. 
Now, the big one. (laughs) This is what happened when it came down to the filming. The original start date was April 2003, but filming did not begin till June. It was decided to shoot the Brothers Grimm entirely in the Czech Republic over budget constraint, and Damon said that this is an $80 million movie which would probably cost $120 to $140 million in America. The majority of filming required sound stages and backlots from Verandov Studios in Prague. I'm used to riding roughshod over studio executives, Gilliam explained. But the Weinsteins rode roughshod over me. Gilliam got so upset, filming was shut down for nearly two weeks. Matt Damon reflected on the situation. I've never been in a situation like that. Terry was spitting rage at the system, at the Weinsteins. You can't try and impose big compromises on a visionary director like him. Now, if you know Matt Damon or have seen any of his like interviews, he actually has a lot of respect and really, really, really loves Gillian, which is why he actually took on the role. Um, he's a big fan of Time Bandits. So this was like a dream come true for Damon. And yeah, he's just, he's just like, he's got his back, you know. Gillian's his boy. <laughs> at this stage, he's like cool I got you back I'll defend you so he turns around he says you can't try to impose big compromises on a visionary director like him if you try to force him to do what you want creatively he'll go nuclear the feud between Gilliam and the Weinsteins was eventually settled although Bob Weinstein blamed the entire situation on yellow journalism filming was scheduled to end in October but due to various problems during filming principal photography did not end until the 27th of November Due to the tensions between the filmmaker and the producers during production, Gilliam said in retrospect about the film, it's not the film they wanted, it's not quite the film I wanted, it's the film that is a result of two groups of people who aren't working well together. With regards to the Weinsteins also producing Martin Scorsese's film Gangs of New York, Gilliam stated Marty, or Scorsese, said almost the exact same quote I said without us knowing it, they took the joy out of filmmaking. That there. That one line, they took the joy out of filmmaking. That says everything. To be in the industry, regardless of whether you're the producer, director, actor, whatever the case is, you know, you do it, you'd hope, you do it because you love it. (coughs) But to, like, work with someone for so long and come out of it with, they took the joy out of it it's just it's kind of like heartbreaking especially because Gilliam had like this such a visionary idea of what he wanted this film to be and for it to just be like run-of-the-mill no one really wanted this film with the way it, it, it ends or no one really wanted the film the way it is and to like not have a choice but have to release it like that would suck <laughs> to, to put it plainly that would suck but <laughs> With that being said, we're going to jump into the film. So the film is based in 1811 French-occupied Germany. Uh, The start of the film actually shows the strained relationship between the two brothers, uh, Will and Jake, or Willem and Jacob, showing a bit of a uh, backstory to when Jake naively sold the family's cow as a child in exchange for magic beans rather than selling it for money to pay for the medicine for their sick sister leading to her death. Uh, skip 15 years, Brothers Grimm are now famed monster hunters. Um, arriving in Karlstadt, they are hired to rid the town of the witch's ghost, which they quote-unquote kill in an elaborate battle. 
In actuality, the Grimm's are con artists who exploit Jake's knowledge of local legends with actors Hidlick and Bunst. They fabricate monsters to defeat for a price. And look, to be fair, I get this is based in 1811. <laughs> but I mean... Like, the ghosts that they set up... <laughs> It's just ridiculous. It does not look like anything real. It's it's almost like when you watch Scooby-Doo, like the movie, for the first time, and you're just like, how do people believe this shit? Like, it's super fun, and it's super entertaining to watch, but it ain't believable. <laughs> not in the slightest. But, alas, they are believed. And they see the ghost and the townspeople, you know, celebrate. And to say thank you, they all start celebrating at an inn where the brothers are captured by the Italian torture, torturer, rather, Cavaldi. If you remember what I said earlier, Cavaldi was originally meant to be played by Robin Williams. But may he rest in peace. Oh, did not get the role. Or wasn't provided the role. But now celebrating at an inn, the brothers are captured by the Italian torturer Cavaldi, which, if you remember before, I said was originally uh, meant for Robin Williams. Uh, so they're brought to the French general Delatome uh, in exchange for amnesty for their crimes. Delatome tasks the brothers to solve the disappearance of several girls in Marbaden, believing the Charltons, like them, are responsible. So at this point, we see them getting taken to Marbaden. Uh, where they obviously feel like they're, it's going to be another small job, if you will, where they can bullshit their way out of it and discuss what they need to and do the whole show. Where in actuality they get there and they realise, you know, they're sort of iffy. They're like, maybe it's not as simple as we thought. All the townspeople are freaking out because the girls are going missing. No one knows what's going on. There's weird, you know... Uh, sightings there's all sorts of shit they've got themselves into something a bit a bit heavier than they originally thought we then cut to a scene where one of the uh, daughters young girls is in her bed and you can hear this uh, you can hear a horse in the background that's clearly distressed very loud the girl well uh, the girl wakes up and she starts walking towards the stables and this is Quite possibly my favourite scene in the whole film is what's about to come or what's to come. And the little girl gets shown walking to the stable. She gets there. She sees the horse that's making all the racket. It's clearly distressed. It's very uncomfortable. She opens the latch to the gate where the horse is now breathing really, really heavily. And it, it seems almost pissed off. She goes to comfort the horse. And she walks up, she goes, there, there, it's all right. <laughs> what was that accent? <laughs> oh my God, I can't do accents for the life of me. Never do that again. Anyway, she walks up to the horse to tries to comfort it. The horse looks fucking evil. Like, I'm sorry, run the opposite way, you little bitch. Run, run. <laughs> Stop looking at the horse and just don't give a shit. I'm all for animals, but my God, this horse, like, I'm not going near it. As someone who grew up riding horses, I know when a horse is pissed off and I know when to back off. So <laughs> it needs to fuck off. In saying that, her voice is just as fucking creepy, though. 
She's so, you know, okay. If anyone knows the work of Dick Earth and Salad Fingers, she sounds like one of the voices. She almost sounds like Salad Fingers. She's just like, there, there, such a pretty horse. I feel like she's going to turn around with a rusty kettle and just stroke the rusty kettle. Do you like me spoons? <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, please go <laughs> go watch uh, Salad Fingers on YouTube. It'll probably ter- it'll either terrify you or you'll just fucking love it. But this kid's voice, that is what that reminds me of. But um, so she's still trying to comfort the horse. And then that's when we start to hear a hint at what the next fairy tale would be. Because she goes, what big eyes you have. What big ears you have. So clearly we're going down the Little Red Riding Hood route of Mother with the Wolf and whatnot. So they all link. They're all, you know, they're not all obvious, like in your face. Here's Red Riding Hood. Here's Jack. Here's this. Here's that. It's all intertwined. And I think that's what I also really like about it is that they're such classic fairy tales but they're not in your face like a lot of the others are. But, um, so she's still, she's still comforting that horse. And this is when her hand slowly gets to the bottom of the horse, uh, the horse's mouth. And she goes, such a pretty, pretty mouth. And as her hand goes down, she starts pulling what's like this web. It's like a sticky, gross spider web that stretches and it's stuck to her and she's trying to get it off and she's trying to figure out what's going on with the horse and she starts pulling it and she's pulling it more and more and more until eventually it's like a net around her that's when you see the horse stand up and she's struggling and the nets the spider web's getting more and more around her the horse is trying to like maneuver the web around her then the camera pans to the shadow of the horse and you see the horse on its hind legs lifts the kid in the fucking spider web up above it and then eats it. You watch the horse eat the girl. Like, sure, it's in the shadow, but it's just that imagery stuck with me for years. Like, that scene just, that's the sort of shit I want to see in a dark supposed children's film you know is you want that creepy element because ki- a lot of kids especially now a lot of kids can take it they they want it they thrive for it and I think that's what we miss nowadays I feel like back in 2005 you had a lot of those sorts of darker films um or darkish films with the fantasy I feel we don't get that anymore and I feel we definitely need to see more of it so then the camera or then the scene goes to the brothers Grimm who can hear the horse. Um, so they wake each other up and in true comedic fashion with Damon and Le- uh, Ledger being involved. They're in fucking dresses and bonnets for whatever reason. <laughs> well, because they were in the house before. Um, they run outside and they see the horse. It's covered in the spider web, so they obviously don't want to touch it. But then the camera zooms in and it zooms into the horse's mouth and you see the little girl inside the horse with like the esophagus around her. Her hands are above her head. She's screaming. And like, don't get, it looks ridiculous. So like, you look at it now and these effects aren't the best. But when you're a kid watching this, this shit's effective. 
Like, watching it now, like, it'll still always be my favorite scene because the film to me just is what I remember. But nowadays, (laughs) we could do so much more. Next thing you know, everyone's chasing after the horse. Everyone's on their own horses. This horse looks fucking pregnant because the child is in it. So you actually see like the outside or the outline of the belly. And it is huge. This horse just looks so uncomfortable. Um, And then so they're all chasing it, following it through the woods. And of course, being fairy tales, the woods are all magical as well. So the trees are fighting back and they're, you know branches are swinging out and trying to stop them from catching up with the horse and it's all just chaos until eventually the trees are walking their roots are up and they're walking around and they're stopping the brothers Grimm from going any further into the forest they at this point they've fallen off their horse you know that they, they don't know what the hell's going on but the trees are stopping them and by this point we are halfway through the film So with that being said, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to grab some snacks. I'm going to grab a drink. And while you wait for me to come back, enjoy these promos. Hey guys, what's up? This is Mike. And I'm Tabby. And we are Happy Hour Podcast. We wanted to come to you on this episode and tell you about the world record we are going to break. The longest running podcast was 36 hours. We are going to be shooting for 37 hours and or more. This event will happen on August 26th of this year on our one year anniversary. Via live stream on our Facebook page and a YouTube exclusive. We've also got some help keeping us awake and the audience entertained. From awesome podcasting friends like Tallboy Radio, Wheel of Horror, Pub Time Podcast, Bleach Bros Podcast, Dad's on Dayquil, Ryan Leskis of Pain Productions, Cheap Seat Reviews, Florida Men on Florida Man, Maddie Ice Media, Listen, Listen, Listen Podcast, Whiskey Hell Podcast, Derazzled Podcast, Porn Stash Podcast, That Damn Podcast, and Designated Quizzers. We would love for you to join us. And maybe bring along some coffee. See you on August 26th. Hello, and welcome to the jury room. I'm your host, Kevin, and I will be covering anything true crime, from serial killers to cold cases and everything in between. The jury room podcast is available on most major podcasting platforms. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow anywhere you can. Stay safe. And thanks for listening. And we're back. That wasn't too long now. I hope you've all got your drinks and your snacks. And we'll get into the second half of this film. So at this point, they're in the forest. They followed the horses. The huntress Angelica, whose younger sisters were the first to be taken in this series of girls being uh, going missing, follows them as well um pursuing the horses into the forest they are attacked by a giant wolf which seems to recognize angelica and the forest itself cavaldi's men are then killed which which then angers cavaldi and cavaldi brings angelica and the grooms to delatome who orders their execution in desperation the brothers convince delatome that the magic in the forest is actually german rebels they are then sent back to marbidin with hildic and bunst where Cavaldi holds Angelica hostage. 
As Jake scales the tower, Hidley and Bunce flee back to town where a girl named Sasha is turned into a gingerbread man made of dirt and jumps into a well. These scenes, like, I swear to God, watching these kids get turned into the most random things. I mean, like, the last one just got spoiled by a fucking horse. This one's now being turned into a gingerbread man. <laughs> and it's the weirdest scene. Because what you see is you see the little girl come out of the house with holding like a, a bucket and she walks up to the well and obviously she's grabbing some water. She puts the bucket down into the well hoping to bring up the water only when she brings up the bucket of water there is this huge massive dead I think it's a crow. I mean it's all black it'd have to be a crow but it is massive and she pulls it up out of the bucket and she goes oh poor birdie and, and looks at the bird and then all of a sudden this crow out of fucking nowhere <laughs> out of absolutely nowhere just starts like growing and attacking her so what the crow actually does is it's covered in like all this bog mud and it is like flapping its wings and as it's flapping its wings it's actually covering the little girl in this disgusting sludge the the crow flies off it knocks the um like the pulley on the well and then you actually see the little girl sit up and she goes to wipe the sludge off her face and as she's done that the skin has just completely covered her so she's wiping away all her features and she's just a blank slate she's got like the concaved eyes but there's no eyes there like the, the sockets are there but there's no eyes the mouth is gone so she's freaking the fuck out because now she can't see or talk as she's doing this, the pulley is coming up and in the bucket is this little, like, monster? <laughs> it's this monster with eyes. It's kind of cute to begin with. And meanwhile, while all this is going on, you've got Cavaldi and Angelica, because Cavaldi's obviously got Angelica hostage. They're discussing, like, how much of a piece of shit he is, is essentially what she's saying. And then they hear all this ruckus and Cavaldi looks out the window and sees this black thing fall out of the well with this little girl just like flailing about trying to communicate but she can't because she doesn't have her eyes in her mouth anymore. And so you see the little girl is just like walking around like stumbling around with this black monster thing that is probably about half the size of the child slowly sludging walking its way trying to get her one of the adults comes out of the house and realizes what's going on, runs back, grabs a gun, shoots this black thing. The sludge is going everywhere. But obviously, because it's made of the sludge, it just becomes this little monster again. So the gun, the bullets do absolutely nothing. Angelica escapes, sees what's going on, and she's like, Sasha, which is the child who no longer got a face, she's like, listen to my voice. Follow my voice. I know you can't see me. I know you can't talk, but run towards my voice. Angelica, Angelica grabs Sasha, throws her to Cavaldi. Cavaldi goes into the house holding Sasha. And then, like, she whacks this little black thing with a shovel. It just, one, becomes an even bigger, uglier looking thing. Its arms stretch under through the door, grabs Sasha, pulls her in, and pulls the child into its stomach. But then for whatever reason, it's like the child becomes the black slob thing. 
which somehow then turns it into a gingerbread man. And so now there's this child that looks like a really badly burnt gingerbread man running around. And she eats herself. <laughs> She's like, oh, look, like, look what I've become. Takes a bite out of her thumb and goes, mmm, I taste good. What? <laughs> like, even you're not a real gingerbread man to begin with. You're burnt as shit, secondly. How the fuck do you taste good? <laughs> How? It doesn't make any sense. She then turns around, runs back to the well and just jumps in. And then that's it. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> Meanwhile, while this is going on, you've got the Brothers Grimm in the forest now trying to figure out what's going on. There's this tower, there's clearly magic, but they don't know the full correlation of what's, what's going on. So they've got all these contraptions and pulleys and, you know, they're trying to scale the tower. They're trying to get in. They don't know what's going on. Um, so we go back and we see see them trying to scale the tower and they're calculating how many steps and how tall it is. So he finally gets to the top of the tower and just as he gets to the top, of course the rope snaps, pulley breaks. You know, he goes to fall. As per usual, they don't actually fall. It gets caught. And he's just dangling above in the tower. He's just chilling. <laughs> he's just up there chilling. So uh, Jake manages to pull himself up onto the roof. And then you get a bird's eye view of what he's looking at. So he's on the roof of the tower. We're above him, above the tower, looking down. And the camera's looking down from the top. And you see the tower. You see Jake. And then you see the 12 crypts. And there's these perfectly spaced out 12 crypts around uh the tower like a clock face and um <coughs> and quite honestly it's actually a really pretty shot because you see all the trees around it as well and it's just it's very Gilliam it's it's very very Terry Gilliam um style movie obviously because it's his movie but you know what I mean <laughs> um so Jake goes well Will I'm gonna go in so he ties um and he swings and he swings down and goes breaks through a window in the tower. Uh, once he gets inside the tower, Jake discovers the queen alive, mummified in her bed. In a mirror, the queen's young reflection attempts to seduce him. Sasha, who was the gingerbread <laughs> gingerbread kid, Sasha's body uh, surfaces outside the tower where the wolf transforms into a huntsman. Placing Sasha in one of the tower's 12 crypts, which are the crypts we spoke about before, the huntsman attacks Will when he tries to rescue her. Jake leaps from the tower with the aid of the queen's long hair, landing on the huntsman and escapes with Will, the unconscious Sasha and the huntsman's magic axe. The brothers realise the extent of the queen's curse. Taking black magic from the pagan slaughtered by the king, she cast a spell granting herself eternal life, though not eternal youth. Rotting in her tower for centuries, she sent her werewolf huntsman to steal 12 young girls to regain her beauty and youth. Sasha was to be the 12th. The grooms try to warn the villagers, but Delatome and his troops arrive. Having interrogated and beheaded Hidlick and Bunst, Delatome orders the forest burned along with the grooms. As the soldiers set fire to the forest, Angelica rescues the brothers, but the huntsman, revealed to be her father under the queen's curse drowns Angelica as the queen's 12th victim. The queen extinguishes the forest fire with her breath and the brothers are confronted by Cavaldi, Delatome and his manservant. 
Cavaldi refuses and is shot by Telatome. Jake kills the manservant with the magic axe and will impales Delatome with his own flagpole. The brothers reach the top of the tower, but the Queen's enchanted daggers force Jake to stab Will. The Huntsman gives the Queen blood of the twelfth victims to drink, restoring her youth. She releases the Huntsman from her thrall, which slowly starts to kill him and bewitches Will as her new manservant. Jake breaks the mirror, shattering the Queen's curse and her body. Regaining his memory, the Huntsman avenges Angelica by leaping out of the tower with the mirror's final shard, and the bewitched Will jumps with him. The mirror is destroyed upon landing, killing the Queen. Jake is saved by the Queen's mini mattresses, while Cavaldi, having survived Delatome's bullet with the aid of the brother's supposedly fake magic armor, tells Jake that the curse can be lifted with a kiss of true love. How cliche. <laughs> as much as I loved this film, how cliche. Um, but I mean, what what children's film and what fairy tale film isn't going to have a kiss? I mean, let's be real. I always thought that was like, I understand a lot of the fairy tales were like yonks ago, like forever ago. But does there really have to be like a fairy tale kiss in every single one of them? Like, if I'm sleeping beauty, just let me fucking sleep. <laughs> Don't come and wake me up with a kiss. Just let me sleep. God damn it. <laughs> Going back to the kiss. Uh, Jake awakens Angelica with the kiss and the 11 girls and Will are revived. As the villagers celebrate, the Grimms discuss pursuing a new profession, presumably writing fairy tales while a crow carries away a mirror shard of the queen's eye. Ta-da! We made it through. Oh, I love this film. This film is just, it's just so wacky. It's just so, so strange. So, so strange. But so much fun. Like, it's one that I can always come back to because there's a lot of humour uh, between Matt Damon. Matt Damon and Heath Ledger. <laughs> like, there's so much. And, like, the manservants and it's, like, it's very dark but it's very funny and it's just... It's just shot beautifully. But in saying that, we've come to the end of the episode. It's a bit of a short one. Um, Unlike Jess, I can't talk for... (laughs) As much as I love this film, I can't talk for like three hours long. Um, But we are hoping to be back together next week. And we are hoping to have a bit of a theme reveal for next month. Provided neither of us get sick again for the hundredth time. With that being said, I hope you enjoyed the episode and we will see you next week where we will be back to our usual programming, usual scheduled programming. We will have the main episode. We will have a Saturday episode. We will have it all. We'll be back together again, which I just, I need, I need, I haven't seen my jazz in three weeks. Actually, at the time of this recording, it's a month now, a month, a month without my baby. <laughs> in saying that i hope you all have a fantastically wonderful day um and we will see you next week